You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. This is to show you that my righteousness is in Christ. This is my guest room. Uh, this is my guest room just, what, like three months ago, okay? Now, if you can see closely, those are my Christmas decorations because this is what happened. I don't know. I got them all out of the attic, but when it was time to put them back in the attic, something had happened. The attic had filled up. We couldn't put them back in the attic. So what I did was I, I put them all there in the guest room and um, hired somebody. I hired a professional organizer. So excited. So she comes, and I said, you know, how does this work? How does this work? And she says, well, it depends. Do you want me to just kind of do a cosmetic job where I just straighten up what you already have in there, or do you want me to just do a clean and purge? Well, it was in the morning, and that sounded like a great idea. I'd had a lot of caffeine. So I said, let's go with the clean and purge. So she says, okay. So we start. Three hours, $300 later. Now, this is how I start. It's three hours later. I have this room. Now I have this room with more stuff in it. And this room. And this hallway. Now, this is after, this was after three hours. My problem looked considerably worse. But here's the thing. I was so excited because I was on my way. I was on my way to an organized attic. In the process, it was messy, it was costly, and it was long. But really, to me, that did not matter. It was worth every dollar and every hour. Why? Because I'm not going to hold a dinner party in my attic, so what do you care how organized your attic is? Well, here's why you care. Because when you are organized... You feel calm. When you feel calm, you function better to do what it is that you are called to do. And that is exactly what we're going to try to do in 40 minutes this morning. We're going to try to do the exact same thing. We're going to haul those tapes that you've been stuffing in your mind. So many of you have had good teaching and good teaching and good teaching. And just like my attic, it stuffs and stuffs and stuffs so much stuff in. But, just like me, I think you might be very surprised to find out some of the things that are still stuck back in your mind from a long time ago, that are still there even though you know better now. And there were really times when I was in the down and dirty of my attic, and I was feeling kind of embarrassed in front of the organizer. Is that not a statement, though? You're feeling embarrassed in front of your organizer. But that's exactly what happens when I do this same work with my clients, They say the exact same thing. When I am working with them on some of their thinking tapes that they've got stored in their heads, they say exactly what it is that I said to my my organizer. I said, oh, oh my goodness. I had no idea I had still held on to that. Or or, uh, you really have seen worse, right? (laughs) Or am I ever going to make it back out of this attic? Because it takes a lot of courage and a lot of focus to haul out those narratives, those tapes that you have been playing in your mind for years and years and years and throw those toxic ones away and replace it with only truth back in your mind. To be honest, that's not usually what my clients come to me asking for. Folks are usually desiring change in either the way that they feel or the way that they behave, you know, like... My marriage, my body is not doing what I want, so I feel depressed. Or my husband has threatened to leave, or my friend won't speak to me, so I need to change this behavior. 
generally, um, that's what they're trying to work on is feelings and behavior. Right? So it's kind of like this. That their thinking essentially is that the event is what causes the feeling and the feeling is what causes the behavior. But that actually is not true. The scripture says in Proverbs 4.23, which I can't find because I can't see. Okay. Above all else, guard your heart, for from it flows everything you do. So that is the true equation. The event causes your thinking, your thinking causes your feelings, and your feelings cause your behavior. So then you see, focusing on behavior, as well as attempting to change feelings because you think that the feelings are wrong, is, is kind of like trying to keep a beach ball underwater. It can be done, but it's exhausting. And it never lasts, because that beach ball will come up. It'll emerge, and when it emerges, it'll emerge sideways. You cannot focus on controlling events either, so that you don't end up having to go through that equation, because that doesn't work either, does it? but we do try. We work harder at our jobs. We work harder at being a wife. We work harder at being a mother so that we don't have to start that whole process. But we can't, we can't control those events. Or we try to live our lives very, very, very small and tight so that this doesn't get triggered. We live in the small story, similar to Gideon in Judges 6. Now, the backstory on Gideon is every year for seven years, the Midianites would come to the land of the Israelites, plunder their harvest, and then ride off and then return the next year. So Gideon was hiding in the wine press because he was trying to thresh wheat in there so that he could keep it safe from the Midianites. And that's where we're going to open up in Judges 6. But as I'm reading this, I want you to listen, please, for how this event draws out all of Gideon's thinking and his feelings and what Gideon has been doing with them. Then what I want you to do is listen to the first recorded cognitive behavioral therapy session, see how the angel slash therapist <laughs> deals with Gideon's thought process, okay? Judges 6, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, mind you, Gideon is in the process of hiding in the winepress. But the angel does not see what Gideon is doing. The angel sees and speaks with confidence in how Gideon was created and designed. And that is what he addresses. He doesn't address what he's doing. He addresses who he is. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. First thing I want to point out there is that this is an example of healthy prayer. Yes, yes. Instead of saying, yes, sir, to the angel, he speaks back and says, this isn't working for me. Help me understand. God desires us 
to be, if you will, mouthy like that. Honest. Help me here. This isn't lining up. Going on, the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? Again, he is seeing not based upon what Gideon even just said, nor what Gideon's doing, but on his design, not his function. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replies, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. Now, as counselors, you you learn to watch for things like that. That's a low self-image. And in the counseling world, that's the, th- oh, that's terrible. That's, you can't have a low self-image. No, that's terrible. But can I just say, in certain circumstances, like this one, everything he's saying is absolutely true. Because you see, back then in his culture, your standing, your self-image was derived from your family and then particularly your position in your family. So when he says, if it's up to me, we're in trouble, he, in fact is speaking very accurately. Low self-image, oftentimes, in the words of the great theologian, Cloris Leachman, in the movie Spanglish, she says, Tia Leone is her daughter, uh, she is having an affair, and Cloris Leachman confronts her. And her daughter's response is, well, maybe I wouldn't be such a mess if I wasn't raised by a mother like you. To which Cloris Leachman replies, Honey, sometimes your low self-image is just good, plain, common sense. And that is exactly if we believe in total depravity of man, our base condition. If it is about us, your low self-image and my low self-image that says, I don't think I can do this, is just good, plain, common sense and solid theology. Yes, that's accurate. But now when somebody tells you about their low self-image, what do you do? Oh, no, it's not that bad now. Come on, push them back up on that performance pony, right? But how does the angel deal with it? It's almost like he doesn't even hear it. He says, the Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites and none will be left alive. So he's not even, you see, there challenging Gideon's narrative because Gideon's narrative is pretty accurate. But basically what he's saying is it really has absolutely nothing to do with you. Good self-image, bad self-image, that really isn't the point. You and your personal ability is not the point. Oh, thank God. That is the gospel. The gospel is, if it's about me, we're in big trouble. Oh, thank God. Breathe. It is not. It is about Christ in me, the hope of glory. I rest Not because I feel good about me. No, I rest because I look at 
him and say, I'm so glad <laughs> it's not about me. Try that the next time somebody says something bad in your, one of your small groups. Oh, I feel so bad about what I do. Say something like this. Oh, it's probably not that. You're probably so much worse than you think. <laughs> See how that works. See if you get invited back. I'm just saying. Okay. Now, let's run through this equation right here with Gideon. Okay. What was the event? The event was the impending attack of the Midianites. What was Gideon thinking? He was thinking about himself, his flesh, and his abilities. And I'm sure that we can't at all, you know, relate to that. He's thinking essentially two things. Number one, I'm alone. And number two, I don't have what it takes. So, of course, what's the resulting feeling? Fear. Does that make complete sense? Yes, that makes complete sense. Is that as a result of lack of faith uh, in himself? Yes. And that makes complete sense. So I'm not going to say, don't feel fearful. I actually would say, well, that's well-placed fear. Okay? And then out of that then, what is Gideon doing? You see, if all of these things are true, then what Gideon needs to do is live small. Stay in the wine press. Just try to hang on to the wheat. Just live small. And when you're challenged, say, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. His thinking caused him to live small. But notice what the angel did with him. He became a mighty warrior. And you know how he became a mighty warrior? Not because he went through a course on self-image improvement and not because he went through a course to enhance his performance. Gideon became a mighty warrior because the angel readjusted and realigned only one thing, and that was the way Gideon was thinking from his personal ability to the ability of God. And that was it. His new narrative became, in essence, thank God, I am so beyond my personal ability here, but he has given me what it takes. Now, since it's unlikely that an angel is going to show up and change your thinking, um, you, can, you can pay me to do it with you, or, or, or you can do this. Um, I want to take just the next five minutes, and we're going to haul out all your old tapes. I know. That's it's just sand. I was trying to see if you were paying attention, because I wish you could say from up. So everybody's like, oh, no, 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 no. No, like, it's okay. Just in your mind. Okay. Uh, I want you to haul out one of your tapes. This is the way we're going to do it. I want you to think of your last Romans 7 moment. A Romans 7 moment is that when I'm doing that which I don't want to do or I'm don't, not doing that which I do want to do. What was your last Romans 7 moment? Get it in your mind. We're thinking about your behavior right here that you did not like. Okay? You got it? All right. Now, what happened? Right before that, you had actually an indicator light go off. And that indicator light was your feelings. Signaled something negative is happening. Something is going on. 
So I want you to see negative feelings, whatever they are, anger, sadness, fear, defensiveness, jealousy, whatever the feeling is, I want you to see the feeling as an indicator light. And rather than evaluating that feeling, use the feeling as it is intended by God to be used, which is to say, what's going on there? When your indicator light goes on in your car, you don't go to the mechanic and say, hey, it's red, it should be blue right? The mechanic says it doesn't matter what color the indicator light is. What matters is what's going on. If you start paying attention to, I shouldn't feel this way, I shouldn't feel that way, then you will not do the deeper work, which is to ask, right before I started feeling this way, what was it that I was thinking? We've got to become aware of your inner emotional state. Again, your heart both your thinking and your feelings. What's going on? If you don't pay attention to that, then that's kind of like driving down, uh, I don't know, 459 at 80 miles an hour, not that I would, at 70 miles an hour, never doing, never looking at the dashboard, only looking out of the windshield. Now, how well is that going to work for me? Well, for a while, that's going to seem like that's a fairly efficient way to do things because you're getting somewhere and that's all you're paying attention to is where you're getting. But if we don't pay attention to what the indicator lights are telling us about our heart, our thoughts, our feelings, if we're not paying attention to that, we end up at best running out of gas, but at worst, burning our engine up. So... When you experience an emo a negative emotion, this is what I want you to do, number one. Ask yourself, what was I thinking right before I started feeling this way? What was I thinking right before I started feeling this way? Number two, are those thoughts provable? Do not ask yourself what all Christian women ask themselves. Is that true? What, what do you, you have to learn how to talk to your brain. If somebody says that to you, is that true? What do you naturally say? Yes, and you get into a very, very defensive response, right? So you don't say, is that true? You say, is that provable? Because here's the truth. Some things might end up being true. But in the moment, they're not provable. And what you're going to start doing in your mind is only allow in your mind, kind of like the judge of a courtroom, I only allow what is provable. For example, there's three things that you need to watch for. The first one is overgeneralization. It was a terrible day. Overgeneralization. She is an excellent mother. Overgeneralization. Taking a tiny slice and identifying the entire thing. My childhood was a wreck. Okay? Taking a slice of reality in determining all of reality. Number two distortion is, now by the way, if you ever read anything on cognitive behavioral therapy, which is what you're doing right now, if you ever read anything on that, there's like 50 cognitive distortions, but seriously, 98% of the time they fall into one of these three categories, and I'm into simple, and so you really only have to know simple. So the first one was overgeneralization. Second one, one of my personal favorites, mind reading. Okay. Now, people think when you're a counselor that you're a mind reader, which is why I'm not very popular at, like, luncheons and things like this because people always think, they, they do, they say, think, oh, I don't want her to analyze me. Can I just assure you, 
if you're not paying me, I'm thinking about what I'm eating. I'm not analyzing you. I'm not doing any of that. I'm just, whatever. Okay, so mind reading, you know, she thinks I'm an awful friend. Okay, now, you could be right. You could absolutely be right. So that's why I'm saying you cannot say to yourself, is that true? I don't know if it's true or not. But in the moment, what you're going to ask yourself is, is that provable right here? Do I know that right now? Well, yes, look what she's doing. Ha, uh, uh. Nope. Can't take what they do to get inside of their head. Can't do that. Not allowed to do that. If you don't believe me, believe the scripture. The scripture says you're out of your league there. You're not allowed to go into somebody else's head. Off limits. I know. I know. I know. I know exactly what my kid is thinking. I know. I know. No, you don't. Well, he did it 80 million times before. I know. But you can't. Third one, future forecast. Future forecast is if they did it in the past, they did it in the future. For example, O.J. Simpson trial. They tried to say, the prosecution said, he's a wife batterer, therefore he's a murderer. Now here's the sad thing. I happen to believe, personally, that that is absolutely true. However, it was a bad prosecution because they couldn't prove it in the moment. They couldn't say that just because he did this, he did this. And in court, what we pay attention to is not what is true in court. What we have to pay attention to is what is provable in this moment right now. And that is why he walked. Does that make sense? Now, this sounds really logical. Just these three things and that's all you have to get. But watch in the next 24 hours how much you're going to argue with me in your mind and say, well, she's right. But I'm telling you, on this one, I'd, I've been married to him 35 years. Like, I don't know. I know. I know, right? That's what I say. Is I, I cannot imagine what it must have been like to be Judge Lance Ito in the O.J. Simpson case. And somebody got in the witness box, and, 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 the, and they said something, and the, uh, the defense attorney said, objection. And Lance Ito, at points, would have to say, sustained when you know he had to be thinking, oh, but I know what he's saying is true. But he's not allowed to say it in court because it's not provable, it's hearsay. Oh, but he had to be right. But it's not allowed in court. And that is the way you need to be in your brain. You have got to wake your judge up. And the judge pays attention to the law, not attention to what he's feeling or thinking personally in the moment he pays attention to the law and the law says you cannot predict the future you cannot get in someone's mind and you cannot overgeneralize when you think about it too future forecasting and getting in someone's mind that is the qualities of almighty god when we do either one of those we have stepped into that role which he says specifically all through the scriptures, stay out of there. I know, we know, right? He says, I know, stay out. Because that is what is going to gum you up every single time. Your thinking is going to go askew. 
if you allow yourself to do one of those three things, and that makes that unprovable in the moment. Now, to go back to that equation, we're going to run through another one. Because before you leave here, I want you to be able to do this. I want you to be able to do this in your head. Now, um, let's say this. Uh, you made a lunch date with a friend. She has a little bit of a history of um, canceling at the last minute or being late. So, but she didn't. And the day comes, the time comes, and you're rushing out the door because you're always on time. And you're rushing out the door and you hear the little ding. And you look down, sure enough, and the text says, so sorry, exclamation point, exclamation point. Can't make it, frowny face. We'll call later, love you, exclamation point. Now, if I had you even, I'm just reading this. All I'm doing is reading this, but literally, if I had had you hooked up right now to a monitor, your anxiety slash emotional intensity would go from a, a nice serene two to about a nine pretty fast. Why? If I asked you, why are you so upset? I'm so sorry. You would say, oh my gosh, she canceled again. What are you doing? Jumping right back to the event. It's okay, because I know you remember it. You're jumping right back to the event. That's not why you're upset. You're upset because when that event happened, you pulled in a tape. You know what that tape said, because you play that tape all the time. She didn't value me. And that is what made you angry. And based upon that feeling, how are you going to behave? Well, that largely depends upon your temperament. But let's say this. If it is how you behave is dependent upon the line of thinking that says, she does not value me, whatever you do is going to be a flesh desire for control or protection. You're either going to lash out or you're going to shut down. When we obey our flesh appetite for control or self-protection, we are behaving totally incongruent with our core desire. I know. You're saying, oh, no, 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 sister. I am telling you what my core desire would be, three words, set her straight. No. That is your flesh appetite. Still with you? Absolutely. Still very much a part of you? Yes. But your heart has been now taken out and replaced with the heart of Christ. And that happened at the point of conversion. That doesn't grow or shrink. That happened at the point of conversion. In other words, just like the angel said to Gideon, oh, it's in there. You're saying, oh, no, it's not. I would just want to set her straight. And I'm saying, I know, right? But I'm telling you, I know how you're designed because of what the scripture says. The heart of Christ is now in you. So you have a new desire. You know what your core desire is right now? To glorify the Father by the way you respond to whatever he allows. Let me say it again. Your core desire to glorify the Father by how you respond to whatever he allows in my life. I know. I'm not saying this about you because I'm watching your behavior. I'm saying this about you because that is exactly what the scripture says. 
Galatians 4, 6, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. What was the passion of Christ to glorify the Father? Now, to illustrate, my body is designed for what they call clean eating. Clean eating, right? But my appetite fights that because my appetite calls for anything, anything that is fried, sugared, or as possibly processed as possible. I am sorry, but that is the reality of who I am. Now, if I am in line with you at Dairy Queen, and we're sitting at the drive-thru, and I'm just about to order because it's just now coming out. I'm so excited. It's the best season. Um, this is when they have pumpkin pie blizzards. So I'm just about to order a pumpkin pie blizzard. And you say to me, oh, Julie, Julie, now, you, you, you are not designed for a blizzard, Julie. It's, it's white. It's sugared. And it's processed. You're not designed for that. Let's pull out of this. Let's pull out of this line, Julie, and go to Whole Foods. <laughs> no. No, I would say from this kind of guttural voice, I would say, this is what I am designed for. I am designed as a blizzard girl. It's me. And you see, that's exactly what the enemy does to you. When you're in your Romans 7 moment and you do it again, you just let loose. The enemy comes in and he says, this is who you are and this is what you want. And if he can take your identity at that moment, he has won. Because if you believe that of yourself, you will continue to act that way. And FYI, it is exactly the same when you are talking to someone else about what they're struggling with. I can't believe you did that. What kind of a person are you? You see what they're doing right there? But you see, in Christ, we can't say that anymore. Instead, you would say something like, I can't believe you did that. Did you forget? Did you forget what it is that you're designed for? And that's what the problem is. is we forget. And we forget. We go down Romans 6, which says, The mind governed by the flesh leads to death. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. When my mind is governed by the spirit rather than my flesh, I experience a stability and an energy that makes it possible for me to do what it is that I am really called to do. But there is a fight. When I am in that moment, everything screams, I am a blizzard girl. And I have the ability, I can go order the blizzard, and I can continue to act out of my appetite. But what will happen? I will become sick every time. Because design always wins over appetite, always. You are not defined by your appetite. You have been defined by Christ, who has given you a new design. Live out of that, but that necessitates fighting against that appetite that says, not me, sister. I know. Yes, you. So let's go back to the example. 
what should the new tape be? If it's not going to be, she doesn't value me, what should it be? Well, is it provable? Maybe true. Maybe true, by the way. And in that moment, it really looks true, doesn't it? In that moment, that's all you see. And if you're going to take it by that moment, but remember the rules, has to be provable. Provable in that moment. And in that moment, it's not because that's mind reading. So you're going to replace it with a tape that says, I'm sure she didn't mean to do this to me. No. That is not how you're going to replace it. What that's called is, is positive thinking. Positive thinking doesn't work. You know why? Because it's not provable. And your brain knows it. Just like when you were a teenager and you said, I'm the ugliest girl in school and nobody likes me, and your mother said, no, you're not. You're pretty and everybody loves you. And you completely dismissed her. Why? Because what she's saying isn't provable. No more than what I'm saying, negative is provable. Positive is not provable either. What's provable in that moment? I don't know what she's thinking. But regardless of what she thinks about me, that's not my business, but what my business is, how I'm going to respond to this right now. And I'm going to talk back to myself, and I want to respond in such a way that the father says, yes. It's really not even about her anymore. Did you see what I just did? It's not about her, and it's not about me either. I connected back into what is it that I really most deeply want. When I retape, it calms me to the point that I can reconnect with what you, I most deeply want. Now, when I go through that process with clients, I ask them usually to write down, not evaluating, but in the span of a couple of weeks, I say, I want you to just write down, whenever you have a negative feeling, I want you to write down, what was the narrative in your head? Two, three sentences max. Just start writing that down. And when she or he comes back in next time, they'll have a page but not a whole lot more than that. You know why? Because we don't have a whole lot of thoughts. We basically have, I think, about five thoughts. Just like when you have one of those, you buy one of those cookbooks, five ingredients, you put these staple ingredients in your, in your pantry, and then you can make 85 meals out of these five, uh, these five. Okay, it's exactly the same with us. You got five basic tapes for you, five what I call your staple tapes. And if you look at this whole narrative that you've been thinking through the last two weeks of a whole bunch of different situations, what you'll see is about five recurring things over and over and over again. And all you do is just kind of pull that same tape out and you change the event and you change some of the personal pronouns, but you basically do a rendition of the same tape over and over and over again. Something like, you know, I'm deficient. And once they discover it, I'll be rejected. Or if you're young, if I follow the right guidelines, things are going to turn out. But if I had to say the most common one for the well-taught believer, like the women in this room today, the believer who knows better, it would be this. It's the same one as Gideon. I am alone, and it's up to me and my personal ability or any resources that I can get to help me 
to pull this thing out. And that's the tape that runs us. I was seeing a couple, and I, I don't know, this was their third visit. I thought it had been going pretty well. Um, uh, but what do I know? Um, because on the third visit, she comes in, she sat down, he was there too. She sits down and she says, so I need to say that um, I did not like what you said in our last session. And as a matter of fact, I do not like you. Now, um, the, the indicator light <laughs> went off. Oh, they all went off. They were, they were lit up, lit up. And I would say, um, basically, and I'm, again, I'm just running right down that equation, event, but I'm jumping into feeling right now. I'm skipping thinking and I'm jumping into feeling because I didn't know what my thinking was. I just knew what my feelings were. And my feelings were angry, defensive, and ashamed. Now, out of that feeling... I started planning. She's still talking. I'm planning my response to her as she's talking. And I was going to politely, in my very best counselor voice, I was going to point out that, uh, you know, really, um, she had used my, com my comments completely out of context. And um, perhaps she was also kind of resisting input that might help her. And maybe that might explain why she's in my office for marriage counseling. Okay, so I want you to see what I'm doing right there. As soon as I heard myself, this is all before I acted on it, but as soon as I heard myself in my head, I was appropriately horrified because my behavior was designed completely to protect myself, not to help or to hear my client. I was going to use my position in a harmful, in a condescending way. And that scared me, and it woke me up. But I knew, if I don't want to behave that way, what did I just tell myself? What, what's going through my mind? It's three things. It started with, well, she's just being resistant because she doesn't want to hear truth. Mind reading. Then I went a little deeper. But you know, people are always telling me things like this. I'm, I'm really, I'm, uh, if I had said it better, she probably would have received it. I'm no good at counseling. I'm never going to be any good at this. Future forecasting. And then finally, the crowning blow. You know what? I'm no good, period. Overgeneralization. You see, shame has to go someplace. First it went out on her, but then it hit and came right back to me. Why? Because that event pulled out some old tapes. That is exactly what happened. Because this is one of my staple tapes. My performance, as judged by whatever response it elicits from others, that's what defines me. And when that tape played, I felt despair. When I felt despair, I'm going to behave in a heinous way. I cannot change my behavior unless I change those feelings or else I'm going to do one of those things like, I'm so sorry you feel that way, <laughs> which is such a lie. I'm not sorry at all. I just want you to be quiet and I'm going to act like I'm sorry. 
That is not pleasing to the Father. But now, now that I'm aware of that core narrative, I have the power and I can change it before I allow myself to act out of it because I'm aware of that in my head. And I reminded myself, uh uh, uh uh, you want to glorify God right now by however you respond to her. Which caused me to do one of my famous prayers that I always do, which is basically Jesus, dot, dot, dot. See, at this point, I had to first begin by repenting of my self righteousness that I was trying to gain from the way that I performed as a counselor. And I had to tell myself, no. My performance does not determine who I am. I've already been determined by Christ. Second, I'm a well-provided-for daughter, and he's given me everything I need to change. This allowed me to play the new tape, and the new tape was, what she just said hurts. Because in my tapes, I tend to validate myself, because I won't listen to somebody unless they validate me. So I said, that hurts. But regardless of whether or not it's right or wrong, see, I'm not even going to get caught up. Regardless of whether it's right or wrong, it does not define me nor my future. Now, that new tape that I played calmed my emotions. It did make me happy. It calmed me. When I was calmed, curiosity was able to grow, and I was able to remember what it was that I wanted to do. And my behavior was, I said, tell me more. And I meant it she knew it and she did and she did and she did and she did <laughs> but they stayed with me next week I was in church somebody comes up to me hey Susan not her real name told me about your last session oh boy there it goes again Whoosh! All those feelings right back up again, right? Pulled back in the tape. Oh, my word. Oh, my word. Oh, my word. She's told everybody at the church what a terrible counselor I was. Oh, my word. They're all probably feeling so sorry for my husband. Oh, my word. Oh, my word. And so all my indicator lights are all back up on again, and I have to go through the exact same process. As I'm going through this process, though, she's continuing to talk. I'm hardly even listening to her. But at some point, it broke through, and this is what she said. I told her to go back that she needed to talk to you about the way that she was feeling. And then she told me. She told me how you responded. And I thought to myself, wow. I wonder how many times Julie is able to give dignity and honor to those who do not feel heard. What a blessing that was to her. And at that moment, as, as much as a Presbyterian hears God audibly, what I heard was, that's my girl. Because that is who I'm playing to. That is who I'm playing to. And he whispered, that's my girl. And that line right there is what I'm made Psalm 19.1, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky proclaims his handiwork. What is the glory of God? That's just so big. So I'm going to do it differently for you. That's Psalm 19.1, but instead we're going to do it differently. Blank, insert your name. Julie, 
declares the glory of God. And the way she responds to criticism. And the way she responds to her unkind husband. Rude co-worker. Unjust punishment. And the way she responds proclaims his handiwork. And we hear, that's my girl. And we are raised from beyond being defined by our performance. Oh, thank God. And we have hope. And we are fully alive because we are doing what it is that we were meant to do. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.